Hello, I'm Leslie Garthel-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today, part four of our four-part PAR series. We talk with Bob Cohn, Northeast Director of Themis Bar Review. In this episode, Bob Cohn of Themis Bar Review takes you through what you need to know for your first year, second year, and third year with respect to making sure you pass the bar. But before we get started, a little bit of a plea. As you know, we do this for free, and all we want is the love. So if you like us, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or the whatever app you listen on. Or rate us. If you have an issue that you'd like us to address, you can reach us at lawtofact at gmail.com or always tweet us at lawtofact. And now my discussion with Bob Cohen. I remember walking down the aisle at law school graduation and thinking to myself, well, this is great, but now i got to take this big exam to make these past three years worth their while. And so um, this bar exam thing is always looming, I want to say in all law students' minds, but the reality is sometimes people don't think about it until their third year mostly. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about is like what you should be thinking about and when you should be thinking about it in law school. So you are my you are my go-to bar prep guru. You've been in the industry for 25 years, which is a wonderful bar prep company. And so I guess my first question to you is, when do you start thinking about the bar exam? I think this goes back, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. I think this goes back to uh, a realization that bar review and your law school education are actually radically different. You will learn how to take exams throughout law school, Mm -hmm. and then it is dramatically different on the bar exam where you're getting an answer-oriented exam where sometimes you don't even have to give the right answer to get points. It's the only. I, I like to look at the bar exam like a game, and the better you learn how to master the game, the better your success is going to be. So, in theory, on the bar exam, you can give without much exaggeration an incorrect rule of law, reach a wrong conclusion, but still get points on providing a good, solid, flowing legal analysis. Now, of course, you need to get more points the more correct your rules of law are, but it doesn't always come down to knowing the correct rule of law. It comes down to the application of the facts to the elements of the rule of law as you've hopefully been learning throughout law school or as you've been learning in your you know, traditional commercial bar review. What's the fundamental of what the bar examiner is looking for? Your ability to take a rule of law mm-hmm. and have the facts applied to each and every element of that rule of law right. and realize that if there are facts that you have not addressed, you're probably missing some issues and you better go back to the facts and look at them and ask, them, ask yourself, why am I not in? On the bar exam, it's not just essays. You have multiple choice questions. Mm -hmm. You have performance test questions. 200 questions, 175 are graded. Mm -hmm. And generally, you're looking to get roughly 65%, let's say, Mm -hmm. to stay right on line for passing. Mm -hmm. And most of us are going, I've gotten this far in my academic career because I've never settled for merely 65% correct. All right, but so getting back to what we said before... It seems to me that the two big, big oh, sorry, the two biggest differences between a law school exam and the bar exam are number one that a law school exam is topic specific. You're going into a Civ Pro exam, you know it's all about Civ Pro, versus a bar exam, which on the bar exam you're going to have to spot which topic they're talking about in a particular question. And the second biggest difference between the two of them is that in a law school exam you're going to want to explore policy issues. 
and you're going to have to be able to discard the facts that are not legally significant. Whereas in a bar exam, it seems to me that they're so concise, every fact is in there for a reason, and your job is to legally reason through the answer and not worry about the policy implications. They just want to know that you can make a legal argument, period. That's very true. In fact, some of my finest conversations over the summer are with our many students at Yale Law School. The Yale students will call me and say, hey, Bob, there's a lot of law tested on this bar exam. And I explain, yes, this is the nature of the bar. You have roughly 16 topics, maybe 20, depending upon how you break them down on the bar exam you're taking. And they say, yes, but the problem I'm having is at Yale, we learn a lot of theory. We learn a lot of policy. We don't spend the bulk of our time on learning black letter rules of law. Right. So it is a different focus. You're exactly correct on how you described it. All right. So perfect. So now that gets us into the actual law school experience. So one of the biggest concerns that I have as a professor, and I think a lot of professors have, is that we're not... I, I, let me let me let me rephrase this. Academic sport professionals are doing a good job of educating and, and bar courses, which many schools partner with, and we're happy to do a lot of work with themes here at Pace. Um, we don't necessarily educate students on the bar exam, and I think a lot of students, particularly first generation law students, don't know what to expect about the bar exam and how to set themselves up, how to tee themselves off, using a golf analogy. For when you graduate and take the bar exam. So could you walk us through like what, what you need to know about first year, what you need to know about second year, what you need to know about third year in terms of planning so that you were appropriately situated when it's time to take the bar exam? Hey, first year, we all know you're basically treading water and mm-hmm. thrilled to be admitted to law school, right. which is quite admittedly the hardest part. Once you're in, they expect you to stay there. And they will work with you to stay there. They wouldn't have admitted you if they expected you to leave after a semester. But first year, it's all about getting through. Your law schools have generally across the country provided a good, solid core curriculum of topics that make for a good foundation in understanding the law. So most law schools will run you through torts and contracts and property and criminal law, constitutional law at some schools is first or second year, criminal law, evidence, uh, maybe as a second year course, which isn't always required, but it's one of those topics that is heavily encouraged because it makes you into a well-rounded lawyer. And of course, civil procedure. Mm -hmm. So you get through your first year, you're getting through. You've got your core foundation. Second year, requirements drop away. Maybe evidence is required at some schools. Tax is surprisingly required at several schools, even though it's no longer tested on many bar exams, simply because it's making you into a well-rounded lawyer because tax is covered in so many things of what we do. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, corporations, which includes maybe agency and partnership, wills and trusts, arguably perhaps family law, but you're not taking some of these classes unless those are areas of law that you're considering practicing. So what my suggestion is, as you move into your second year, yes, the bar exam will slowly become more of a factor in your thinking, but in choosing classes outside of those core courses that we just mentioned, you should be choosing classes based upon areas of practice, areas that interest you. If your school has a tremendous environmental law curriculum, as you do here at Pace, you want to take advantage of the environmental law courses. If you have a tremendous criminal law track or a labor law track, 
Those are perhaps the courses that you want to take. And leave the bar exam stuff, if you will, to your commercial bar course. Now, as you're approaching the end of your second year and moving into your third year, you still have that consideration with maybe taking courses like wills and trusts. I mean, look, if you don't take wills and trusts in law school, the worst that's going to happen is you're sitting around Thanksgiving dinner with your family right after graduation, and your uncle turns to you and says, so I'm thinking of drafting my will. What do you think? And when you say, gee, I never took that course in law school, they uh-huh. would say, how can you graduate law school without taking such a core course? Okay, You don't need to do that. You should be choosing your classes in law school into areas of practice. What makes you into a well-rounded lawyer? Yes, wills is important in that area, but you're also choosing classes based upon your professors. Every law school in the country has the rock star that everybody wants to take, and you're never going to get to take a class from that professor again. So take advantage of it in law school, regardless of the topic. But I, th- I think that's that's true, especially... The idea of taking professors that you that you know inspire you and enrich your learning experience. So I always thought, and tell me if you disagree, that the test for whether you should take a bar type class that doesn't interest you is whether you are going to be able to teach yourself that information when the bar exam comes. Now, you know, now you know we have the MBE, so family law maybe it won't show up as frequently as it would have prior or wills, but you know. If I have no inclination to understand family law, do I want to first teach it to myself when I take a bar course? Family law is a good example because there's maybe three core topics in family law that will keep being tested on bar exams. Okay, So it's a very tight topic. There are maybe seven topics that make up, let's say, 70% of the bar exam. You're getting them on the multiple choice multi-state day, which is 50% of most bars in the country. Mm -hmm. And you're getting them on essays as well. And those are topics, much of what law schools have required, torts, contracts, property, criminal law combined with criminal procedure for one topic, constitutional law, Evidence. So you've got torts, contracts, property, criminal Wait, contracts, and contracts. <laughs> yes, contracts and civil procedure. Right. So those topics arguably make up seventy percent. The next big group of topics. Yes, you have corporations. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have wills and trusts. You can see on this uniform bar exam now, which more states are adopting, secure transactions or family law. Should you take secure transactions or family and law school, family law and law school, simply because you might see it on the bar exam? No, you choose it if it's an area that interests you, and you leave the bar-tested stuff to your commercial bar course. It's like taking the bar course books. Every bar course has books. Themis, we have like 40 pounds worth of books. In those books, if you wanted to study from the bar just for the books, you literally have 100% of all the law you will ever see on the bar exam. But there are lectures that accompany bar courses as well. And different bar courses have a different way of designing how they deliver the material. But in total, you have a lecture. Mm -hmm. And in theory, that professor in the lecture is going to go through with you not only what you'll see, but how you'll see it, how you remember it, how you recall it, and how you apply it. And they will cover perhaps 90% or 85 to 90% of what you'll really see on the bar exam. So if you're studying just on books alone, like family law, you're covering everything you could see. But you really need a little more refinement because not everything you're learning in law school is testable on the bar exam. And even if it is, it's tested in a different fashion. All right. Well, that's that's good advice. All right. So first year, we do nothing. Second year, we pick courses that interest us with 
I'm going to just say a nod toward courses that seem... Right, with the caveat. Right, impossible to teach yourself. And also second year, you know, the evidence, CrimPro, UCC, if they haven't taught in the first year. Now we have finished our second year. Now what are we thinking about third year? Oh, and what about the um, MPRE too? Okay, third year you're thinking more about the bar exam as it's upcoming. But a lot of that gets into something hopefully we'll touch on, which is selecting an appropriate commercial bar course and getting it at the most reasonable tuition, of course. The MPRA, most law schools teach, it's required, Mm -hmm. a professional responsibility class. The MPRA is an exam required by most jurisdictions, Mm -hmm. and it's given three times a year, March, August, and November. I usually encourage taking it by the November of your third year, not leaving it till March of your graduating year, if you're a traditional grad graduating in May, Mm -hmm. because then if something comes up, family crisis or whatever in March, and you don't get through, you've got to take it in August after the bar exam, when you really should be enjoying somewhat of a vacation, okay? And what does MPRE stand for? Multi-state professional responsibility exam. Okay. The big question we get is, should I be taking the MPRE if my state requires it? And not every state does. Some states like Connecticut or New Jersey give a nod to your law school and say if you've gotten a C or better in your law school class on ethics, that's just good enough for wow, us. That's great. Others like New York say you got an A plus in professional responsibility. Congratulations. Now take the MPRA. Massachusetts says not only do we require that you take and pass the MPRA, but if you don't do so before you're applying for the bar exam, you can't even apply for our bar exam. Wow. And in some jurisdictions like Maryland say, we don't care if you took ethics in law school. We don't care if you take the MPRA. No offense, but so much for ethics in Maryland. It's a joke. Okay, <laughs> uh, But the MPRA, people ask, should I take that exam in conjunction with or after I take my law school professional responsibility exam? The answer really is it doesn't matter. And this goes back to how your law school classes are not generally geared towards components of the bar. Most professors in law school will not teach about the judicial code. Yes, you'll have the ABA code and you'll have some crossover between your professional responsibility class and what you'll see on the MPRE. But the judicial code, for example, quick example, makes up only makes up about 10% of your MPRE. So you can use the MPRE preparation as a standalone and do it before or after your ethics class in law school or do it concurrently with your class in law school because there is some crossover. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, the MPRE is 60 questions, 50 of which are actually scored by the bar examiners. Mm-hmm. And depending upon the state, you want to get roughly 33% correct. Let's just look at New York where they require an 85 scaled score. That's not 85%. Right. It's 85 scaled. And the exam is on a scale of 50 to 150. Mm-hmm. So roughly about 33% keeps you right online for passing okay. in most jurisdictions. Some a little higher, some a little lower. Okay. All right. So... And, and by the like, way, the MPRA, yeah. when you're taking it, most commercial people will say 12 to 15 hours of preparation. Right. I like to say 20 hours of preparation, 20 would be the max. Mm-hmm. Eight hours is a little low. As a law professor, I've got to stake my claim. I would suggest that law students take their, um, com- their professional responsibility class in this in their second year before they start studying for the November of their third year MPRE exam because I do believe that a lot of professors know that the students are going to take the MPRE exam 
And so while they cover more than the MPRE exam, at least they've introduced the students to the topics, making it easier to study for the MPRE exam. We would love to think so. However, <laughs> most law schools, and you will agree, if you're going to tell them to teach towards a component of the bar exam, they are going to disagree with you. There's more acknowledgement now yes, of the bar that's exam not true and ranking. No, that's true. It, it, it's, it's more. Not as true anymore. Right, it's not as true anymore because schools are more aware of rankings and the job implications of well, having a higher so bar cynical. passage we're also rate. Nope. More, we're, I'm not going to be so cynical. Mm-hmm. We're more aware of helping our students succeed. Yes, but the core curriculum, if you would look, of most law school professors yeah. in a topic like professional responsibility is not really keyed into the exam, okay. the MPRE. All right. I don't, you know, I don't know the answer to that, so I, I will respectfully, I mean, I do, not even respectfully, I just will defer to you, I should say. Okay. okay. So. Moving on. Yes. <laughs> We're moving on. All right. Um, a little discourse on law to fact. All right. So now, um, when should students register for the exam, like all that stuff. Now we're talking about the actual bar exam. Right. You start thinking about the actual bar moving into, let's say, your rising third year of law school. Okay. I would love to see, and we run many partnerships with law schools around the country, I would love to see students do something bar exam related in that second summer even a short or abbreviated program on just a couple of topics, getting you acclimated towards the type of questions you're going to see and the thought process that you're going to have on the bar exam. And, And a lot of law schools now are adopting that and incorporating academic support and early bar preparation initiatives in their third year. Mm -hmm. The reason why I like to see something over the summer is you give the students something tangible. And some of our programs for law professors, law schools are designed this way. The student starts the program knowing relatively little with a little diagnostic exam. And at the end, when they do a very short final exam, and this could be a program that takes maybe just 20 weeks spread out over, 20 hours spread out over four weeks, at the end they see a tangible improvement going into their third year and they say, you know, I can do this and I'm that much more excited about moving along into my law school's early bar preparation initiatives. So it creates a bit of a foundation. Moving into your third year, you should really start thinking about filing deadlines for the bar and things I can do early, aside from even just academic concerns. Things looking ahead, what's my summer going to look like? You know, you're going to be putting in over your traditional what's summer. What's your summer after your third year? Right. Okay. Your summer after your third year for okay. your commercial bar review course. Okay. You have to start thinking a bit earlier, like, am I going to be working that summer? If I am, I want to make sure I'm in the proper bar course that's going to give me access to full resources. Some bar courses will just give little snippets and so on. I want to to hold that off. I I mean, actually, no, let's move into that. So you... So you work, you you know, you have taught at other bar companies. You are currently, te- um, I'm sorry, you have worked with other bar companies. You are currently working with Themis. Can you give me an objective, objective, Bob, mm-hmm. assessment or checklist of what students should consider when choosing a bar prep program? And then the other question I have for you is, when should they choose that actual bar prep program? Okay, I would... Being totally non-commercial, mm-hmm. and yes, I was at Barbary for 25 plus years as a vice president and director. I'm now the Northeast director of Themis Barview. So being, and I also spent a year at New York Law School 
overseeing and coordinating their bar preparation initiatives, and I would share this information with students as well. Okay. So a non-commercial response. Things you want to start looking at in your bar course, you really should start looking at early in your third year. There are factors that go into this like, are you going to be working over don't that summer. Work. Just don't work. I don't would work. love to say that, but financial reality for many students, whether their day or evening division is, they have to work full or part-time. And we can incorporate that. In fact, in some states, like Connecticut, you're required, if you're taking a judicial clerkship, you're required to work the entire month of June, uh-huh. which is prime right, bar study right, time. Right. Wow. So I'll work with the students on how to get started early in March. Mm-hmm carry through and if we do this correctly at the beginning of July when they're no longer clerking I look at their diagnostic work and sometimes you cannot even tell the difference between a student since been studying full-time and a student who was uh, incapacitated if you will by work during June okay all right so what are you looking for I'm looking to see first if I need to work can I start early some bar courses might just give me snippets of little lectures portions of outlines I want a bar course that's going to give me full access to everything so it's one time through I can start in March and move my way through okay okay every bar course will give you a different sort of study schedule okay Okay. Um, at Themis for example we give a schedule that will recalibrate to you every day and pace out the work for you. Other bar courses have a study schedule, so you check into the study schedule. You check into who are you going to be working with. What's the experience of that person? Have they worked with students in your particular situation? Is this course moldable around the necessities of your your lifestyle? Uh, The pedagogy. Are you comfortable with some bar? I mean, look, face it. Nobody goes the way you and I both studied for the bar not that many years ago, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But neither one of us, we're both willing to recognize nobody studies that way where you go into a classroom anymore and sit there and watch a four-hour video. In the old days, running from a VCR tape, then it went to a CD or a DVD. And now, of course, we'll say, oh, we're running the class in a classroom at your law school. But it's really just either a video running from a flash drive or streamed in from another location. Right. And when you peek in on these classes, there's maybe less than a dozen people there. So nobody studies that anyway. So you have to look at the pedagogy and how it's delivered. Right. Okay? Is it portable for you? Is it mobile? And just by saying, oh, you could watch our lectures online does not mean you're studying for the bar properly online. There's a big difference between just watching lectures online and having the online engagement with a particular bar review course. So you have to now, know your, your discipline with a video running on your computer. Exactly, because you're not going to be sitting in class. Other things you can think about. So you're looking at the pedagogy and how the lectures, everyone's going to deliver the material to you. Every bar course will say, larceny is the taking and carrying away of property known to be another intent to permanently drive, etc., etc., okay? But how is it delivered to you? The Themis approach, for example, is just one approach. We talked about the one hour with the 10 minute break. The Themis approach is 20 minute chapters keyed into your attention span. Right. With a couple little questions at the end of that. I mean, there's a whole science behind it. And then at the end of completing an entire topic, like all of contracts, you get another group of assessment questions to say, Leslie, these were the areas that you're a little bit weak, and we're going to mold it to mirror those areas of weakness. Okay. But if you're comfortable with the other approaches, that's something you should think about. Uh, you should think, of, we talked about the early access. You should think about the, the personal service and the diagnostic reporting you get from bar courses. Where do you fit in with everybody else in your particular bar course? The biggest myth is the bar exam is not graded on a curve. 
every exam in law school mm -hmm. is shaped in a bell curve. Mm -hmm. So you fit in somewhere on that. But on the bar exam, if everybody gives the right answer, everybody will be passing the bar exam. Okay. So the bar exam is not great on a curve. So you want to know where do you fit in vis-a-vis -vis everybody else. And you have to look at the diagnostic reporting. And you want to check, does your bar course have the personal interaction that you are most comfortable with? Every bar course is going to be grading essays for you. So in addition to the factors that we've mentioned, not only with grading essays, but how many essays are you grading? Right. Um, unlimited essays, or are you done with a set number of essays? Uh, we're not concerned about who's doing the grading. Uh, you're looking at the portability of costs. You know, one big factor you are looking at, you're, of course, looking at the cost of these bar courses. Mm -hmm. Even if you're billing a firm for your bar review course, mm -hmm. some bar courses nationally will upcharge and bill the firm $4,000, where you're thinking, that doesn't really matter to me because my firm's picking up the tuition, but it does matter from the tax implications because you could be losing, gosh, I don't know tax, but maybe up to $1,000 additional in a tax hit. For many of us, traditional law students, we'll be getting the discounts that the bar courses offer. And you'll look at the price. It could go from maybe $3,000 down to something more reasonable like $1,695. Also, think about what you've been interested in. Well, wait, before you do that, can you, is it true you can negotiate your price? Negotiate and not negotiate. Very fine line. For example, some bar courses that are hard-pressed for enrollments might be willing to dig a little bit deeper, but look at your real background. For example, all bar courses will say, are you doing any sort of public interest work? Mm -hmm. And they have public interest discounts. Mm -hmm. Public interest could be clerkships, government work, prosecutor work. It right. could even be sometimes work that you've been involved in with your public interest organization or mm -hmm. a public interest auction at your law school. But these are things that you should be looking at. You've bought this package. You've chosen who you want to go with. All of the bar companies give you deliverables, meaning that they give you the opportunity to um, have your work assessed. They give you the tapes that you need, all of that. Is it true that only that only 30% of the students do 90% of the work and that most students don't do much of the work that's asked of them for the bar exam? Yes and no. Of course, you can have those high achievers who are always going to do 90% of the work. But the big problem is not all bar courses are able to tabulate the percentage of work that you're doing because you're doing the work either in a book or you're going to a video class in a classroom and no one's taking attendance. So that's something you should be looking at. Are you getting the support to be driven through? But, but you my, question is, my question is different. My question is how much... My question is different. My question is how much work, what percentage of the work mm -hmm. that's offered you should someone do? And what's the sweet spot the sweet for spot, passing the The sweet exam? spot does vary from school to school. Because some students come into this with a stronger academic foundation right. and may not need to do the same amount of work as another classmate. Okay. But I would say I want to target at least 75% of the work of your commercial bar course. Okay. I found... and. and from tabulating pass rates as strictly as, as we do, for example, mm -hmm. we have found that the biggest break-off is if you're completing 75% of the work. More doesn't give you a guarantee, but there's a big drop-off when you're not doing 75%. And, and, and that's the most important thing that students need to recognize, that 
you know, I always like to talk about high school musical. We're all in this together. That faculty, you know, to your point about the NPRE and to your point about teaching, we can teach the students how to think like a lawyer. We can teach the students the law that they need to learn. But the reality is that they need to do, um, but the reality is that to your point, the bar exam is a different animal than law school exams and students need to do the work to pass the law school exam and students need to do 75% of the work and when students don't do well the first thing I say to them is what percentage of the work did you do and it's generally less than 75% um, anything well, one else thing, yeah, one thing I do want to mention is students often ask about study groups for the bar exam Right. study groups are not the way they used to be back you know, 15, 20 years ago in law school. Mm -hmm. Study groups for the bar exam now is students who may even be taking different commercial bar courses, but since no one's going to a classroom anymore to watch a video, your study group is, hey, let's meet at 9 o'clock and we'll go to the library and do our studying. Let's break at noon for lunch. Mm -hmm. Let's then go back and study and break at 3 o'clock for coffee. Mm -hmm. 5 o'clock is dinner. And then 8 o'clock, we all walk home. So it's the mutual support of pulling each other through to get to that 75%, but not sitting there and quizzing each other anymore. So what I'm hearing from you is that first year, don't worry about it. All the courses that you're taking your first year are going to be tested generally. Second year... Make sure that you take some of the biggies like evidence, crim pro, um, UCC sales, because those are classes that are also tested on the multi-state. And then take things that drive your passion, whether it's a passion for the topic or a passion for a professor. Over the summer of your second year, think about doing some kind of bar prep introduction and take advantage in the third year of any bar prep programs that your school offers. In addition... Choose a bar class, ideally, at the beginning of your third year, and choose it wisely. Look at how it delivers to you, the, how it communicates to you the information that you're needing, going to need to learn, and whether it suits your own, and whether it suits your own learning style. And, and one thing I would add to that is you have ample opportunity throughout law school to think about commercial bar courses. Get the free stuff. Some of the bar courses will give free first-year lectures, first-year outlines, first-year review and testing materials. The MPRE from all bar courses is given free. I don't care if you take two different MPRE classes, listen to the first 20 minutes of the delivery of course A and course B, and then use that to help guide you towards the bar course. So take it on a test drive. That's good advice. And and if a bar course is looking to charge you money for first year material, Mm -hmm. or as some bar courses in the industry do, they try to lock you in and hit you with major cancellation fees if you're looking to switch in your third year when you really start to look at a bar course. Many law schools, by the way, have eliminated cancellation policies on their campus. Okay. But these are things to consider. Take advantage of the free stuff and use that to help guide you. Wow, that's great advice, too. That's great advice. So this has all been great advice from you, the expert. Um, and we love seeing you every Monday at the Themis desk here at Pace. And um, thank you so much for giving us your time. It's been really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. So that's my discussion with Bob Code of Themis Bar Review. Those of you who go to law school in the Northeast, I'm sure know him well. Once again, thank you for listening, and if you could subscribe or rate us on any of the apps on which you listen, that would be awesome. And as of this week, we have a Facebook page, so feel free to like us there and post too. We take all the comments we receive seriously. Shout out to Trevor, who helped with our sound a little bit. 
Thanks as always to www.bensonforthemusic and enjoy your day. Music.